The reading of the word comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What, with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God, God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we are, we are grateful that you have again uh, allowed us to gather on this uh, Sabbath day to worship uh, and to rest in you alone and what you have done for us already in Christ and what you continue uh, to do for us in Christ. And so I pray now as we look towards the future of our future resurrection, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that our minds would be um, changed, any presuppositions that we have about the body or the resurrection would, um, would either be crushed or they would be changed. So God, I pray that you would do that in us uh, right now as we sit here this morning uh, gathered around your word being preached. So we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to be good with this mic. This one? Okay. Uh, if they're not, I'll just remind you that we recited those words two weeks in a row. Uh, the most recent was last week when we confessed corporately together using the Apostles' Creed. And when you say those words, do you actually know what you are confessing? 
Have you ever thought about that? I know it's just, it's just a very short part of the creed. We kind of gloss over it sometimes and just rush through it. But have you ever really thought about that and what that means? Because this is what Paul is describing for us in detail in our text this morning concerning this body, this resurrection body. In fact, the most significant implication of this passage is the importance of the body. And what we learn about the body today will will go against what our modern world tries to teach us concerning the body. So try this diet. Try this exercise program. This is guaranteed to get you fit and in shape. Get those abs. Get ripped. Have this size waist. Look this way. Buy this product to help with baldness because that's the end of the world, mind you. And those commercials do act like that is the end of the world. And I'm like, I'm here to tell you, it is not. It is a wonderful life. Or do this to help you look younger. So get Botox, get plastic surgery. I have a plastic surgery uh, place right down the street from me, and I always see the, the billboards uh, proclaiming to me that I need plastic surgery, that I need Botox. But if you can't afford that or your insurance doesn't cover it, well, you can simply put the filters on your phone and take the pictures that, that you most desire, and you can cancel out those blemishes and flaws and take the picture at the at the right angle so you look good and that is the message that our world that our culture is communicating to us about our bodies not to mention how we think about life in the womb or how we think about the elderly or how we think about the physically disabled and these ideas come from a belief that the body and the person are two separate things. That the body is an expendable biological organism. And that the person is one who has the the moral and legal standing. So, So you can see where a lot of our current issues arise because of this line of belief. A baby is a human but not a person because it has no moral or legal standing yet and therefore can be killed in the womb without problem of conscience. It affects what we do with our bodies sexually as well. In her book, Love Thy Body, Nancy Piercy says this. She says, if the body is separate from the person, then what we do with our body sexually need not have any connection to who you are as a whole person. Sex can be purely physical, separate from love. And then you throw in things like gender dysphoria and the the subsequent actions that are played out uh, from this are are, are driven by a, a view that personhood is different than being human. And maybe you've experienced this personally. Maybe this really hits home for some of you. Maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you have a family member who is gay. Or or you work with someone who is struggling with their gender and who they are. Or you, you are currently involved or have been consumed by the chaos of what we like to call hookup culture. 
But for every one of these scenarios, it's Christianity that offers the most robust understanding of the body. Hands down. And this is Paul's chief concern in these verses. It, ten times he uses the, the Greek word uh, for body, which is soma. Ten times he uses that word here in our text this morning. And when he uses this word soma, he is actually referring to our actual flesh and our actual bones. This is not a metaphor for something mysterious or deeper. Paul, Paul wants us to focus in on this this body that we are in, this physical body. The, uh, the author Flannery O'Connor once said, for me, it is the virgin birth, the incarnation, the resurrection, which are the true laws, the true laws of the flesh and the physical. Death, decay, and destruction are the suspension of these laws. I am always astonished at the emphasis the church puts on the body. It is not the soul that will rise, but the body glorified. And this body glorified is only made possible through resurrection. This is what gives us the framework we need to construct a sound theology of the body. And I believe Paul helps us with that in our text this morning in three ways. One, he points us to having a a resurrection imagination. Secondly, he points to a resurrection beyond comprehension. And then third, he points to the expectation that comes from a resurrection. And all three will offer clarity to what we believe concerning the body. So first, a resurrection imagination. So in verse 35, if you're looking at the text with me, in verse 35, Paul begins with two questions that are being asked by the Corinthians. And maybe they're asking them verbally, maybe they're just kind of by their actions asking these questions. But the two questions are this. One, how are the dead raised, Paul? You're talking about all this. You're saying that this happens, but how does it happen? And then two... If, if that is true, if it does happen, what kind of body will come out of it? What will this body look like? What will this body be like? So these questions will probably, if they were asked out loud, they were probably asked in, in sort of a sarcastic manner to Paul that might have went, might, may have went like this. If you believe the resurrection, how is it going to happen and what are these resurrected people going to look like, Paul? Now remember, I think I I explained this last week or a couple of weeks ago, the Corinthians and even the Corinthians within the church uh, are being influenced by by this Greek dualistic kind of ideas. And mainly what this teaches simply is, is the body is evil, the physical is evil, and the spirit is good. The spirit is good. The spirit is what we are to desire. And because of this, the Corinthians believe themselves free to do whatever they want to with their bodies. And Paul has already, already gone through this with them. He, he talks about it when, when it comes to sexual partners and how you treat your body in that way. He's talked about food and other things that affect our bodies. 
Because they're, they're thinking if the body will be destroyed, then what we do with it now will be of no consequence to our spirit. So we can do whatever we want. Another idea at work in this time period is that just like in our day, the idea of someone returning from the dead in a physical body is not something that was readily accepted. So even in the, you know, we're in the 21st century now, and we know there are a lot of doubters and a lot of haters, and, uh, uh, you know, I know there will be at least one article as Easter approaches trying to debunk the resurrection. It seems like it always happens in a major news publication. So even now we have that where it's like, how can this be, how can this be possible? Well, this was no different in Paul's day. There were still those who believed that this was not able to happen. It was impossible. And even, even within Greek mythology, this wasn't a reality. And, and, and if you've read Greek mythology, you know how far-fetched that Greek mythology gets. N.T. Wright shares this in his book on the resurrection. It's just a, a short little quip about uh, one story in Greek mythology. When Apollo tries to bring a child back from the dead, Zeus, the all-powerful god over all the other gods, punishes both of them with a thunderbolt. As if to say, this can never happen. This is not the way that life works. This is not the way that reality works. Because once you're dead, there is no coming back. And these two same ideas are still alive and well in our modern world. They have not gone away. They still influence our own thinking, our own belief system, even if you don't think they do. So the two questions being asked are important for us to answer as well because we still deal with this split reality, this misunderstanding of what a resurrection is and what it means. But it's the resurrection that answers both of these questions. So Paul immediately launches into the answers to these questions in verses 36 through 41. So if you're, if you're looking in your copy of God's word with me, you'll notice that even though Paul begins by calling these Corinthians foolish, and the reason he does this is because he's calling them fools because they're claiming to be Christians, and to claim to be a Christian, you should believe in the resurrection. And if you don't, you are not a Christian. And so Paul says, you are foolish. But notice, Paul doesn't just say, just believe what I'm telling you. Just believe this to be true. Paul doesn't do that. He's very pastoral. He answers them. He gives them a clear, detailed answer. First, by telling them that the resurrection is a transformation of quality. A transformation of quality. And, and to do this, he uses the illustration of a seed's transformation in verses 36 through 38. So I don't need to tell you this, but we don't live in an agricultural society anymore. Uh, to my knowledge, unless I haven't met you before, none of you make a living through farming. Uh, if you do, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, but we don't know a lot about it. We don't know a lot about how things grow and how they develop. Uh, and the Corinthians even 
even though they did sort of live in an agriculture society, they were in an urban setting. So we know even less about what the Corinthians knew as well about agriculture and how something grows and comes to life. Now you can look at science books or you can read that blog or listen to that podcast about gardening, uh, about how all this happens, but by and large, there still lies within it some mystery about how something comes to be. And this is what Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to, to ascertain concerning a resurrection in verses 37 through 38. Look there with me. Paul says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. So if you're having a hard time wrapping your mind around someone rising from the dead, if you're still sitting here going, I like you, Kevin, I like what you're saying, I, I like the scriptures, I read them, but I'm still having a hard time understanding and even believing a resurrection of the dead. Let me just temper those thoughts and those doubts by saying, that is completely natural and completely normal. Most people have not had first experience of someone rising from the dead. But we have had firsthand experience with other things in our natural world going through this death to life process that Paul is talking about when he's referring to this seed. We see it now. We get to live in, in uh, Augusta, Georgia when spring comes upon us a little bit sooner than the rest of the country, which is, which is wonderful because we get to see the early signs of spring. We get to see the buds starting to form on the trees. We get to see flowers starting to bloom, new life starting to, to spring forth after the what? The death of winter. My son and I were out in the yard yesterday, and we were raking up dead leaves. But even as we were raking up the dead, we were able to look up at our trees from, from where those leaves came from and to see these new buds starting to, to show forth, this new life coming from death. So this is the same reason why Paul uses this analogy of the seed to help his readers visualize what he's talking about. Yes, you haven't experienced it. You haven't actually seen it with your own eyes, but you do get to see it in creation. It's the same idea. Because the seed is, is transformed into something that looks different than it originally did. It's still the seed, but now it looks different. And the way in which that happens and the way in which that has to happen is through a sort of death, a burial, and then a resurrection. So we know this to be true personally. Even as we look out over creation, we can see it and say, yes, that is, yes and amen, the death of winter, the, 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 the spring of new life, it is here, we can see it and experience it. But a lot of us know it personally in our own bodies, don't we? I've said before that, that we're all either in suffering currently, 
coming out of suffering or about to go into suffering. It's just this cycle. And you know that it's typically within suffering, within pain, within these what we would call probably little deaths that we experience every single day that oftentimes meaningful and needed change happens. Now, you need to be paying attention to those things because I know sometimes we can experience that hurt, we can experience that suffering and that pain and those little deaths and just, and just wallow in self-pity. And we forget what God is doing in us. But Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So ultimately, our suffering, our deaths, our pain produces hope. It points us forward to new life. So Paul is saying back in our text, ultimately, that the only way in which you experience resurrection life is through death. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So how are the dead raised? The question before us. Well, Paul says, first, they must die. And through this death, life emerges. It's it's a, a true transformation of quality, Paul is getting at. Now, the second way he answers their question, specifically with what kind of body do they come, is to tell, tell them that the resurrection of the body is, is, is a transformation of quality, but it's also a difference of kind. So looking at verses 39 through 41, Paul says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So throughout these verses, Paul is constantly appealing to creation to answer these stories. He's specifically pointing back to the book of Genesis to, to kind of prime the pump for his listeners. But you, you, have even, you have verses like Psalm 19.1 that says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the stars above his handiwork. So Paul is using this, this tool, to say, look at what God is doing in his creation. Because that's true for you as well, as part of his creation. And he does this to make the point that just because these particular Corinthians cannot imagine a body different from the one they have now, it doesn't mean it's not possible. And just like Matthew said earlier, it doesn't mean it's not true. So if you need your imagination primed, and I'm sure a lot of us do, because as we get to be adults, we lose our imagination, which is really sad, but if you need it primed this morning, Paul illustrates this by first pointing to the animals of creation. Verse 39. 
For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And Paul is using this illustration to say that God has created all kinds of bodies. It's not just human beings that have bodies. All of the animals of the earth have bodies. All of the things that God created that we saw uh, kind of marched before Adam in, in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, all of them were given bodies. And all of these bodies are designed for different settings in our natural world. So your body is not suited to fly like a bird. Don't try it. It will not happen. Your body is not suited to live in water 24-7, live underwater 24-7. You will not survive very long. So what Paul is getting at is that this variety that God has given should lead us to believe that he's capable of creating a human body that is different in quality and kind than our earthly bodies. So Paul is, is countering the dualism of the Corinthians. This, is, this would be shocking news to them. That the bodies we have now, in all of their lack of hair and lack of six-packs and ripped muscles, won't be destroyed. But they will be renewed. It's a form that God will make that will be appropriate for a new heavens and a new earth where nothing perishes. Look at verse 40. Paul says there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. How so? Well, to illustrate, Paul again appeals to the creation story in verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So that is, this, this is to say that there is something about the resurrection body that will reflect a greater glory and a greater brightness that is, that is a result of seeing God face to face. And this was demonstrated just this morning for me, and I don't know if you saw the, the I guess it was a full moon that we had last night. I don't know the cycles of the moon. Maybe some of you know that. But uh, I, was, I get up early. I am the first one up in our house, usually before the sun rises. Uh, and there was a bright light coming into our, our home, which doesn't typically happen. So I thought it was a street light or something else. But I look out the window, and it is the moon reflecting all of its glory into our home this morning. And then I go to my study and, and review my sermon and things like that, and I come back out, and the sun is up, and the sun's glory outshines even the moon. And so Paul is trying to get at, look, the, the stars have their glory, the moon has its glory, but the sun's glory is even greater than that. To illustrate that, yes, we have our glory now, so to speak, these different degrees of glory that we have on earth that Paul has already talked about back in chapter 11, verse 7, because we're created in his image. But at the end of it all, because we will behold God face to face, 
the glory that we will experience will outshine any glory that we have here on this earth. Much like the sun is the greater glory of the moon, and the moon is the greater glory of the stars. Which is a wonderful reality still to come that we really can only imagine now. Which means there's still something about this resurrection body that is outside the realm of your current reality. We would say, as our second point says, that it's beyond our comprehension even. Look at verses 42 through 44 with me. Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So there are many factors to a resurrected body that are incomprehensible to us. I I understand that. I'm acknowledging that. I mean, you might be asking, how does a perishing body become an imperishable body? I don't know. (laughs) How does a dishonored body become a glorious body? How does a weak body become a powerful body? And still, Paul is describing here what our resurrected body will be like. That's what he's telling us here. Our earthly body is decaying. Our earthly body is getting weaker. Things we once thought easy are now hard. But our heavenly body? Not able to decay. Always strong. Impossible. It cannot get weak. It's, it will always be glorious. Now, for some of you, that is really hard to believe because you are currently feeling the effects of your decaying body as we speak. I am right now. I am in pain right now from raking my yard yesterday. It's pathetic, but still. Um, but a lot of you are feeling it as well. You would say yes and amen to that. You, some of you, uh, is brought on by age. It just is. And I know we have a lot of 20-somethings in this room, but I'm just letting you know that one day you are going to get old. And the things you can do now, you won't be able to do when you're my age or older. So some of you, those things are happening now because of your age. Some of you suffer with chronic illness. And you are young, and you should be able to do these things, but you can't. Or some of you have been injured, and you can't, you can't get around, and you wonder why those things happen to you, and, and they, they, they make you immobile or incapable of doing things. But let me just encourage you with something here. And this might be a little, a little you might, you know, kind of scuff at this a little bit. But let me encourage you with this. As someone who, a fellow sufferer, who is feeling the effects of his own decaying body, that when we feel that ache, or we feel that pain, or we, you know, see that blemish once again, or we can't do the things we used to be able to do, or keep up with the the 20-somethings anymore, or whatever it might be, when you feel that and experience that, 
instead of complaining, instead of just running to discouragement or sadness or depression, let it instead be a reminder to you of the heavenly reality to come. I was just telling a brother this morning, he's walking through a hard, a hard season, and I said, but you know what? It's not going to last forever. And his not going to last forever is about a month. I know some of us may be on this, this earth, you know, 80 years, maybe 100 years if God gives you, gives you that. And so to you in your mind, that is an eternity. But compared to what we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth, that is a blink of the eye. So it won't last forever, brother. It won't last forever, sister. The heavenly reality is coming because of the resurrection. Paul says in Romans 8.23, he's very honest about this as well. He says, we ourselves, talking about human beings, He's just talked about trees and the other parts of creation groaning. But he says, we ourselves, who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we, we have the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. That's what we await. So back in our text in verses 45 through 46, Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, to declare the process we're all in, to remind us that the redemption of our bodies is coming. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. So Paul is saying that our natural body, the body we currently have, is the evidence that we will have a spiritual body. God has has given us this body that we need to live on this planet and to walk around on his earth. And that is proof that one day he will give us a heavenly body a restored body, a renewed body to live and move in the new heavens and the new earth. So this is your evidence that one day that is to come. And the reason I think this might be so incomprehensible to us is because it's not a move that we make ourselves. We can't upgrade like your phone likes to do. Uh, For as much as we like to exercise and beautify and medicate or try that new diet because we got to lose a few pounds uh, or or we want to have the six-pack or we want to have the, the, the cut muscles or whatever it might be, all that stuff that's available to us, there is nothing in this world that we do to make this body glorified. Not a thing. That alone is a supernatural work. That alone is God infusing this body, your body, with the life-giving spirit of Jesus. The scriptures say we will be like him in glory. 
And it's in that state of reality that, that there are expectations that flow from a resurrection. That you can expect this sort of resurrection of your own body. Look at verses 47 through 49. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so here in these final verses of this particular section of Paul's letter, he is bringing it all together. Everything that he's talked about, about resurrection, he's bringing it all together where he, he's showing the continuity between our own natural body and our resurrection body. And again, he shows us this by appealing to the creation, specifically the creation of human beings. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust, this is Genesis chapter 2, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And because Adam was of dust, and we are created like Adam and Eve, you and I are dust as well. And that's actually encouraging. Maybe you're getting offended that I just called you of dust. But it's actually encouraging because it's in this dusty body that we are connected to the one with whom all things were made through, by, and for. We're connected to the one who holds all things together. And that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. We hear it in Paul's back and forth in verses 47 through 49. He says, the first man was from the earth, the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are we. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we bear the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And that man of heaven is Jesus Christ. So our earthly body is directly connected to our resurrected body in Christ, who is the exemplar of all of this. One commentator said, consider Jesus' resurrection body. He was human. He was recognizable. He had scars. He ate fish. But there was a supernatural quality to his body as well since he walked through walls. Just read the end of the gospel writers and you will get to see that example of that. Which means the same is true for you and I. This is what Paul means when he says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Which means Christ has gone before us. Christ has lived in his body Christ has died in his body. Christ was raised and glorified in the same body and sits at the right hand of God the Father in his body. And this is the resurrection expectation. This is what we can all expect as followers of Jesus. Because the same is true for you 
because God has made it possible for us to do so. He has made the incomprehensible of resurrection comprehensible in Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was speaking about himself there. It has to die in order for fruit to be born. So this means in order to save his people, Jesus became incarnate. He became like his creation. This is what incarnation means. He became like his creation by putting on a human body, human flesh, and entered into every aspect and every process of that body for us, which was scandalous to those who held a dualistic approach to the physical and the spiritual. This this was foolishness. So you're telling me, Paul, that this same body that we have right now on this earth will be the same body that we have in eternity? And Paul says, yes, it is, but glorified. Because this means now we can't do whatever we want in this body. We don't have that sort of freedom. We we don't abuse it or degrade it, but instead we bring God glory in it. Because because as we do, we're, we're pointing a watching world not to ourselves and how healthy we are or whatever it might be, but we are pointing a watching world to the truth and reality of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. That the the imperishable one became perishable for you. Jesus, the man of heaven, took on the body of dust so that you and I, who are made of dust, might take on the heavenly body one day. Amen. Let's pray together.